We all know that I love making and recording my own podcast. Loudmouth is my heart and soul. But what's even more fun is that it's easy to do. And guess what? (laughs) You can do one too. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Because it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. You can make money from it with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast right there in one place for free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hi guys and welcome back to Loudmouth Podcast, the show about everything and nothing all at once. I'm your magical, beautiful, wonderful host here, the one and only host of Loudmouth, Madison Hadler. Hi guys, happy Wednesday. I hope you all are enjoying the hump day. Um, I just needed to be fall again, and I know I'm going to say that, and then in a couple of months I'm going to be upset that it's cold, but like it is just too hot here. And it's also my like week back after vacation and that is always just a super disassociating feeling um you know getting back into the swing of things and all that um so I'm excited that it's Wednesday because then that means the week is almost or the work week is almost over even though I love my job it's just nice to have a couple of breaks now and then you know um but I am trying something I know I posted about it the other day about how I'm trying to take my mornings slower and I was asking for tips on how to wake up earlier and things like that and that is simply because on vacation I was able to finish two books basically um, meditate go on runs in the morning and just like sit there and enjoy my cup of coffee and I would really love to continue that and I don't think that needs to be a vacation specific thing so I'm trying to do better about waking up in the earlier in the morning so that I'm able to slowly wake myself up and I mean I have my routine of meditating every morning but you know I usually do it kind of in a rush and I would love to be able to sit there meditate drink coffee read a little bit before I actually get my work day started and So I've been trying to wake up a little bit earlier. My earlier has been by about 10 minutes so far, but that's also because I haven't been doing the greatest of falling asleep early. So I'm going to build that up. And you know what I would love to do? You know what? I'm saying it right here right now so you guys can hold me accountable. In the month of September, I would love, love to wake up early enough to run in the morning at least one time a week. One time. I think I can do that. And so you're hearing it now. You're going to hold me accountable to it. We'll readdress in a month if I've been doing it. But going for a run in the morning just is so much more meditative because, like, people are still waking up, you know. It's just, like, really cool outside, obviously, because it's, like, 94 degrees in the middle of the day. And I never want to go on a run at night because, well, one, I'm a woman, and two, I'm just like once I get home, I'm usually on the couch and I don't really want to get up from that. So that's my tangent right now. But I'm trying to include some more things that I did on vacation into my daily routine so that I don't feel like I have to stop, you know, taking breaks and relaxing and giving myself time because ultimately the best work is going to come from that. Um, I know that's all you wanted to hear about is my beautiful um, 
disassociation of coming back from vacation but i hope that you guys are all doing well and happy that the week is midway over and all of my teachers that are back to school i love you guys you're doing great and all my students listening to this i also love you guys and i hope that you are doing great and surviving the first week is sometimes easy i know at my school we did not have a syllabus week so it wasn't necessarily the easiest but i hope that you're enjoying being with your friends all vaxxed up and fun stuff like that. Um, unfortunately, today our episode is not going to be super happy-go-lucky as this intro was. Um, we are going to talk about something that is currently happening, that has been happening for decades, and that's really confusing to wrap our brains around. So we're going to talk about everything going on, well, bits and pieces of things going on in Afghanistan right now. I was in political science, even though I keep up on politics and things like that. International affairs is definitely not my strong suit, but I know that I am a little more educated on the topic or have been kind of indulged in it since college because of my interest in political science. But it can be really confusing, especially the war in Afghanistan, because this started when I was three years old. I mean, 9-11. And It's been going on for years, so it's so much information. There are so many things playing parts to what is happening today, and I really wanted to take a step back, do all the research that I could for you guys so that you're able to understand it a little bit better, and even if you're not like super, super interested in it, there are a lot of humanitarian human rights violations and things going on that my nonprofit lovers, my lovers of humanitarian causes, my activists out there need to be aware of so that we can help the refugees in Afghanistan and help get them to safety. But to understand what's really happening now, we have to go back in time and look at everything that's happened before. So I did a lot, a lot of research about this. I read a lot of articles. I listened to a lot of podcasts and I will make sure to link all the ones that I deemed easy enough to read or deemed useful to you guys. I will link them all down in the show notes for you all so that you can go look at the sources and read more. But what I really want this episode to be is for you guys just to get a basic understanding of what's going on so that you're not completely lost when all these headlines come popping up. And if you are completely lost, I hope you know that it is totally okay because this The conflict in Afghanistan has been going on for 20 years and it is full of a lot of players, a lot of moving parts and while I am going to get into it a little bit, this is definitely not the most, well, or the most, the extent of what's going on. I'm just taking bits and pieces so that we kind of understand what's happening now Um, and also Again, this was all my own research. I will make sure to link the articles and podcasts down below. But I am not the end-all be-all of information, although I sure do like to think I am. Um, It's the Taurus in me. But 
I'm not the end all be all. So please, if you want to do more research, look at the articles that I give, look more into it. Um, but this is just for basic understanding so that you and I can get it a little bit better and be able to follow along and kind of know what's happening. Um, and also at the end of this episode, I'm going to be listing some resources and they will be listed down below too of how you guys can help the refugees and the humanitarian crisis that is going on in Afghanistan after I explain all that's happened. So like I said earlier, the conflict in Afghanistan has been going on for 20 years. So for most of my listeners, that's pretty much our entire lives. During the Cold War, both the U.S. and the Soviet Union sought to gain footholds in Afghanistan, first through infrastructure investments and then in military intervention. Once they withdrew in the late 1980s, the country entered a civil war, and this was a backdrop to the rise of the Taliban. And while the U.S. took a backseat in Afghanistan during much of the 90s, it invaded after the 9-11 terrorist attack in 2001 and undertook a two-decade-long project for which the underlying mission would evolve. So the main justification for why the U.S. entered back into Afghanistan was to go after Osama bin Laden, who was the leader of the 9-11 terrorist attacks and al-Qaeda and things like that. So once the Taliban collapses because America is in Afghanistan, they say, hey, we're going to hand over Osama bin Laden. A new justification kind of had to be invented for the U.S. to remain involved in Afghanistan. And this justification was that we needed to nation build. We needed to build Afghanistan up. The justification that it was that we were there was to prevent future attacks up from the Taliban, but it was also underlyingly or not so underlyingly about extending American military bases and allowing more bases to be built there and therefore extending American military might. So our first initial justification is to go after Osama bin Laden. Okay, we get Osama bin Laden. Spoiler alert, I know. And then we need this other justification. We're like, okay, we're going to nation build. We're going to build it up like the West. We're going to create this democracy in this country because democracy is the greatest. And we need to extend our influences beyond. And that's our underlying or new justification for why we're there. So let's get into this a little little bit. Who are the Taliban? Now, if you're asking yourself that, I want you to not feel ashamed for asking yourself that because it is a confusing couple of years and not a couple decades and the Taliban are just another player in this and if you were like me growing up during the war of Afghanistan you probably heard that word thrown around a lot and maybe didn't totally understand what it meant so I'm here to explain it to you. In 1995 a New York Times correspondent reports about a big change of a quote-unquote, new force of professed Islamic pursuits and Afghan patriots that had taken military control over 40% of the country. So this is even, this is right before the U.S. entered Afghanistan. This group was called, quote-unquote, the Students, which is what Taliban stands for, and they arose in 1994 after the withdrawal of Soviet forces in 1989. The Soviets had gone in to prop up a section of communism, but they were driven out by Islamic fighters known as the Mujahideen. 
a patchwork of insurgent factions supported by U.S. government that was happy to wage a war against their Cold War rival. So the Soviet was brought out by these Islamic fighters that were propped up by the U.S., you know, supporting them, and the U.S. was happy to do so because they wanted to wage a war against the Soviet Union. After the Soviets left, though, the country fell into warlordism and a brutal civil war. This is when the Taliban started to attract following because of their promise to put Islamic values first and to battle the corruption that drove the warlords fighting. In 1996, the Taliban declared an Islamic emirate imposing a harsh interpretation of the Quran and enforcing it with brutal public punishments, including floggings, amputations, and mass executions. And they strictly curtailed the role of women, keeping them out of schools, out of work, anything that you can do. They did not control the entire country, however. The north, where many of the Mujahideen commanders had taken up occupancy, remained a bastion of resistance. When they were in power, the Taliban made Afghanistan a safe harbor for Osama bin Laden, a Saudi Arabian-born Mujahideen fighter, while he built up a terrorist group with global designs, aka Al-Qaeda, which was the group that caused 9-11. George W. Bush demanded that the Taliban hand over Al-Qaeda and bin Laden after the 9-11 attacks. And when that didn't happen, the U.S. invaded. Joined by the anti-Taliban Northern Taliban Northern Alliance Coalition, they were able to stop the Taliban, where the officials who survived fled to Pakistan. After their defeat in 2001, the members of the Taliban reformed as a guerrilla insurgency with the shelter and assistance of Pakistan's military. They found a rich recruiting vein among the Afghan dysphoria in Pakistan from families who had pled from fled from previous violence as refugees, and were brought up in religious school. They intimidated some, had some volunteers, and almost all of them were better paid than the local policeman. During this time, the U.S. began into a new phase of the war in Iraq. So, like what I was saying earlier, they needed a new justification now that Osama had been killed. America was focused on making Afghanistan a, quote-unquote, Western-style democracy with modern institutions, which, I mean, do I really have to say a lot about that? (laughs) Many Afghans were worried that this was just another way for corrupt leaders to steal money. At this point in time, the Taliban sat back and waited. They waited through Obama's extension of the U.S. military presence, which harvested almost 100,000 troops in 2010, And just when America began to step down a few years later, the Taliban began gaining ground again. More than 241,000 Afghanistan lives, with more than 71,000 of that number being civilians, and $2 trillion later, Trump made a deal with the Taliban and declared that American forces would leave by mid-2021. And here we are now with Biden upholding that idea. In mid-April, President Biden declared that the United States had long ago accomplished its mission of denying terrorists a safe haven in Afghanistan and announced that all American troops would leave the country by September 11th. The United States had planned to leave behind about 650 troops to secure its embassy in Kabul, but 
by late Sunday, August 22nd, the State Department said all embassy personnel had to be evacuated to the airport. Just weeks before the pullout, the beginning of the pullout of American troops, the Taliban returned to power in the capital of Kabul on August 15th, toppling the government's and driving thousands of people to try and escape the country. Which, if you've seen any pictures of what's going on, you saw, you probably saw a lot of the pictures of the airport in Kabul and a lot of um, Afghan people hanging on to the wing of the plane, trying to get off, trying to flee, trying to get safety. The president of Afghanistan, Ashraf Ghani, fled the country on Sunday, August 22nd. And hours later, Taliban leaders took his place in the presidential palace. All summer long, the Taliban had been forcing widespread surrenders and retreats by Afghan government forces. Thousands of Afghans, frightened by reprisal killings, are trying to flee the country, seeking refugee at Kabul's national airport, which is held by foreign military forces trying to assist with evacuations. While some have been able to leave, there are many more left behind and determined to have a voice in the kind of country in which they live. And also, a lot of the people that are left behind are anxiously trying to leave. But the process of leaving isn't easy, as I'm sure you can guess. On the New York Times The Daily's episode titled The Interpreters the U.S. Left Behind in Afghanistan, we hear from three different men who were translators for the U.S. armies. One was the Marines, the other was just regular army, and then I forget what the other one was. Um, but I'll have it linked down below so that you can listen to it. They tell of their work and how they got into helping the army, and then the episode pans to them saying that they are worried of being killed with no help from the U.S. government. Their cohorts, the American military men that they worked with, say how they are trying to help, but the systems in place are seriously lacking and is leaving these men in the dust. Even if they get to the chance to apply for help through a thing called SIV, which is if you were over there and you worked with the government and you worked with the government, I believe for almost for over three years, then you would be able to get a visa into America pretty easy. But some have applied as far back as 2012, and they are usually rejected or not given any movement until years later. Um, one of the American military men, I mean, this podcast episode made me cry. I was making dinner listening to it, and it is just, it's terrible to hear these men being so scared for their lives, and they've helped the America, and now America isn't helping them back. And even the military men, I believe it was the last one, um, said that he is he was so disheartened by America and he is so sad that this man who gave more to America the interpreter that he's talking about his name is Abdul and I'll quote him later but he says that Abdul had worked for the American government for over two years and the army man that was talking had only worked with them for 16 months and yet the army man was way more safe than this man who had devoted his time and service to the American army. Abdul goes on to talk about how he is feeling in Afghanistan right now, and this is a quote from that. He says, My province is captured by the Taliban. After one day, we hear that they killed two people in the city. Still, every night, they're searching for people. They're spying to find the people who were working for the coalition forces, who worked for the Afghan government, who worked for any other organization. Slowly, they target them. They assassinate them. 
The Taliban, when they captured the city, they called. They announced people who worked for the government. They were like, no, you will be forgiven. But the next day, the Taliban comes to people, people who worked for the government, meaning the Taliban is not honest to their words. And basically what is he explaining in this quote is that in his province, they had everyone stand in a line and the people who worked for the government, they asked anyone who had worked for the Afghan government, who had worked for the U.S., anything like that to step forward. And the people hesitated and they were like, don't worry, you won't be killed. Like, we'll keep you safe. We'll forgive you. And so a couple of people stepped forward and they were then assassinated. Abdul goes on to say, I'll be assassinated or I'll be killed with my family. If we get a visa, for sure, we're going to try to go by the next three days because we don't want to miss a chance. If we mix, miss the next three days, we're gone forever. We're going to die. Absolutely. Now, this was a very swift takeover of power. People were assuming that if America got out of Afghanistan, that it would probably happen that the Taliban would take over, but they were assuming in the next two or three years. And this has all happened in a matter of months, weeks, days. Um, U.S. leaders were not envisioning it to go this way. They thought that it would probably happen, but it would take time. Um, Joe Biden said on Monday, August 22nd, Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. He was accusing the military of laying down their arms after two decades of U.S. training. He said, if anything, the developments of the past week reinforced that ending U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan now was the right decision. But as many have questioned the start of the war, since the start of the war, how have we actually helped? Yes, we have provided money and quote-unquote training, but in an American way. The biggest failure in Afghanistan almost certainly was not anything that happened this week or even in the past decade. It was the decision in the early 2000s to seek total victory in a faraway war that was questionable of if it even had relevance to U.S. and our national interests. As Adam Nosatir, who became the Times Kabul bureau chief last year, has written, the American war, like other such neo-colonistic adventures, was most likely doomed from the start. Dominic Tierney, a political scientist who studies U.S. conflict, states, it never was that righteous war. What you see with many of these American wars is this kind of arc that the war goes through, where right at the start of the war, Americans have the righteousness of the crusader. And this was especially true after 9-11. It's partly a kind of idealistic sentiment of spreading democracy and bringing hope and defeating tyranny, and frankly, the wrath of the crusader, the desire to punish evildoers, especially those who had killed American civilians on 9-11. And so the U.S. goes into a country like Afghanistan which, with this righteous, idealistic, moralistic, fiery sword of justice. But as the war goes on and it turns into this complex, difficult nation-building mission with counterinsurgency, American righteousness tends to be replaced by this weariness. So now here we are. Tens of thousands of Afghan people worried about dying because of their association with America, women losing rights every single day because of the Taliban and children running and trying to hang on planes to make it safe and back home. 
it's easy to question if we should have gone into war 20 years ago. And I bet 20 years ago, well, not I bet. I know that the approval rate for the war was high. But as years have gone on, obviously, we've kind of just been spending money. And there was a tweet that I saw the other day that showed a video of one of the cities in Afghanistan. I honestly couldn't tell you where. And it said, in the quote, it said, like, millions of dollars, trillions of dollars given to Afghanistan to build up the country. And it was war-torn and devastated. And I'm not here to say that we shouldn't have gone into war or that we should have. I'm not here to provide any of that kind of opinion. I'm just here to say that what has happened and what has taken apart the past couple of days has been a complete devastation and has completely torn apart any Western advance or democracy advance that we had. I guess democratic is the right word for that. Democratic advance for Afghanistan. And Biden saying earlier that we have given them this training. Why aren't they building themselves up and things like that? The Taliban has was in control for a while and it's a scary thing and especially when the U.S. isn't trying to help the refugees isn't trying to save the translator who worked particularly with the American government to advance American government needs it's pretty saddening of course they're going to be afraid to step up against the Taliban they're being assassinated their rights are being taken away they're being abandoned by America and it's easy to sit back and say well that's in another country you know we can't keep spending all this money. It's all this money, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it was a lot of money. And I personally don't truly believe in wars of any kind. But especially because we came in with this idea, this justification that we were going to win for America. We were going to show them this democracy. But yet we never really stood up to anything. We never really created this huge influx power and taught the Afghans how to continue that. And also... How are we overseas teaching democracy when our democracy isn't isn't even correct? Our rights are being stripped away, not in as much of insurgence or as terribly as the Afghans are, but in different ways, shapes, and forms. And um, a couple years ago, actually, when Bush was president, the Taliban tried to make an agreement. They said, you know, if we'll give up our right as long as you include us in this new Afghan government, we'll just create a small party. And I'm not saying that Bush should have taken that, but maybe we should have thought about that more. Maybe we should have tried to include more people into the conversation. We could have tried to make it a little bit easier um, for a new government to be built up and not just us you know, sitting in there, spending all our money, wasting all of our time. And then as soon as we leave it being insurgent and us just being like, well, you guys wanted us to get out of there. So not you guys as in Afghanistan, um, but as in America, American citizens wanted us to get out of there. And now we're just leaving them to die. Um, Angus Calamard, which is Amnesty International's secretary general, said, what we are witnessing in Afghanistan is a tragedy that should have been foreseen and averted. It will only be compounded further without swift and decisive action from the international community. Thousands of Afghans at serious risk of Taliban reprisals from academics and journalists to civil society activists and women human rights defenders are in danger of being abandoned to a deeply uncertain future. Foreign governments must take every necessary measure to ensure the safe passage out of Afghanistan for all those at risk of being targeted by the Taliban. 
This includes expediting visas, delivering support for evacuations from the Kabul airport, providing relocation and resettlement, and suspending all deportations and forced returns. We urge the U.S. to provide continued security at the airport while our evacuations are ongoing. And just recently, Biden, I think, believe it was today or yesterday, said that he was going to stick to the deadline. Um, I honestly believe that the deadline was pushed up to August 31st, but definitely look into that because I fact check me on that because I'm not totally sure Um, because the original plan was September 11th. But I know that Biden is just trying, trying to keep it that way, even though lots of lawmakers, lots of House and senators are trying to make him delay and make it easier and try and help these people that are in Afghanistan. So I know it wasn't the most happy um, report, but I hope that kind of gave you a little bit more of an understanding of why we were so involved in Afghanistan and kind of why it's crumbling now. And I don't have all the answers and obviously all opinions are my own and I have my own thinking of what could have happened and what should have happened, but I don't know everything and neither do our politicians though. So we need to remind them of the human rights crisis that is happening overseas. So I'm going to list down below a couple of sources that you guys can do to email your senators, send a letter to your senators, and call your senators. Just this morning, it was this easy peasy freaking form. I filled out, said where I lived, and it sent it to Josh Hawley, to Roy Blunt, to Nancy Pelosi, um, the president and vice president, and just something send something and if you can donate money i'm going to list a woman's organization that helps afghan women um especially journalists i'm going to list a time article that is all about how to help afghan people a lot of the resources in there are for journalists um but there are also a lot more that are just basic um ideas and things like that and look up in your area there should be ways to look up different organizations that support refugees i know there's one in kansas city called della lamb they help support refugees and they're going to be taking an influx of afghan refugees and things like that um you can also sponsor a refugee i will have the link it's um on the government on a government (laughs) on the government on a government website that has this link to where you can look up local institutions that help and you can also sponsor refugees so that they can get a visa faster not saying it's always guaranteed but just something that you can do to help and if you can't provide any monetary support like i said i'm going to have a script for you or a link to a script for you a link to a google doc that um, goes through different nonprofits that you can do, different numbers that you can call, and a script of what you can say to make it really, really easy for you to help um, these people because America just really said, okay, gotta go. And we left all these people who had been helping us, especially interpreters, for years, and we left them just there to worry about their livelihood, to worry about their mission. Um, If you want to learn a little bit more, I highly recommend the Dailies um, podcast. They have been keeping up to date. They just released one today specifically about Kabul and the airport and how America, you know, needs to help with that and things like that, all the things that go into that. So um, they're very in-depth, very beautifully produced, um, obviously better than mine. But I hope this kind of gave you some insight into everything that's going on and help you understand the headlines a little bit more because I know I've been receiving a ton, a ton, a ton. And it's a lot of information. It's a lot of things happening. 
but to understand where the start and where we're at now is so important to help those refugees, to help the women overseas and things like that. So please, please, please contact your senators, um, send them an email, give them a call, um, whatever you need to do. Make a post about it on social media, get your friends to help, anything like that. Send money to an organization if you can. Sponsor a refugee if you can. Um, really, we got to help we got to help people out, you know, Um, especially if you're a feminist, we need to help out these women that whose rights are being stripped and who have for years had had built up their rights. And now just in a couple of days, they've been stripped down and taken away from their jobs and everything like that. So this was by no means the most extensive insight into Afghanistan and everything that's going on in the war in Iraq and everything like that. But I hope that it kind of gave you an overview that helps you understand the new headlines and things like that um, and everything like that. So I'm going to list all those resources down below so you can do your own research. You can look into it a little bit more. By no means take my word as Bible because there is still so many more information and sources that I don't know. So um, yeah, make sure you follow me on Instagram. Um and keep up to date. I will also have some of the links to how you can help in my Instagram bio. Um, so go to that. Make sure you follow me on there. Make sure you subscribe to Loudmouth. Rate us five stars. DM me about any more information that you have about Afghanistan and how we can help and how we can provide support to refugees. Um, my Loudmouthers, this is literally what we do. You know, we got to be loud about things like that. Uh, things like this. We can't just be helping we can't, um, we can't just be helping ourselves, you know, we got to help everyone else as well, so I love you guys, thank you so much for listening, you can follow me on Twitter too, loud mouth, <laughs> loud mouth underscore pod, wow, I can't believe I just forgot that, but I love you guys, and I'll talk to you next week, and go send some letter to, letters to your senators, <laughs> that wasn't that funny, I shouldn't have laughed so hard, anyway, okay, I'll talk to you all next week, bye.